Hello, everyone, and welcome to Genocide News Now, a bi-weekly news update from the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast. We are your hosts, Teresa Merck and Sara Alid, and you can find us at www.lemkininstitute.com, as well as on Patreon, Spotify, and iTunes. All the news and action items mentioned in the podcast are available on our website. Today we will be discussing the latest from Israel and Gaza, as well as how Yemen's Iran-backed group Houthis are reacting to the ongoing conflict. We will then switch gears and take a look at the latest from Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. To start things off, Teresa, how have things changed between Israel and Hamas since the last time we touched on this topic? I'm afraid things have taken a turn for the worse since our last episode. At the time, Israel and Hamas had negotiated a ceasefire, which temporarily put a stop to the Israeli airstrikes in Gaza and was meant to pause all military activity for those agreed-upon days. As of Friday, December 1st, the fighting in the region has resumed, with Israeli forces pushing into the southern half of Gaza and a UN humanitarian coordinator warning that, quote, if possible, an even more hellish scenario is about to unfold, one in which humanitarian operations may not be able to respond, end quote. The resumption of hostilities has also meant that Gaza is once again cut off from receiving life-saving aid, with the UN Human Rights Office stating that the already displaced Palestinians, quote, are being pushed further into smaller and smaller areas in Rafah without sanitation, access to food, water, shelter, or health care, end quote. As we know, such conditions are likely to lead to an increase in civilian deaths in the coming days and weeks. Since the fighting began on October 7th, at least 18,000 Palestinians have been killed, with an estimated 70% of these casualties being women and children. An additional 49,229 Palestinians have been wounded, according to the Ministry of Health in Gaza. The official death toll for Israel stands at 1,200. It is vital that international pressure continue to be placed on the Israeli government, as anything less has signified and continues to convey approval and complicity for the ongoing genocide of Palestinians. Aside from Israel, no international actor has been more complicit in this genocide than the U.S., and more specifically, the Biden administration. Any hopes of the Biden administration placing pressure on the Israeli government or holding it accountable for its continued breaches of international humanitarian law were dashed when the U.S. used its veto in the United Nations to block a resolution put forth toward an immediate ceasefire in Gaza this past Friday, December 8th. The resolution was backed by more than 90 member states, with the U.S. providing the only veto and the U.K. abstaining. This is despite the fact that more than 60% of Americans support a ceasefire in Gaza. The Biden administration cannot blame the will of the people for his continued support of Israel's war against Palestinian civilians. Rather, he is against the will of the American people in facilitating genocide against Palestinians. Such complicity is shameful and must be condemned and brought to justice. Sarah, what can you tell me about the latest news from Yemen? Thank you for that update, Teresa. It's terrible to think of the conditions in Gaza and makes it all the more important that attention remain on the region. And our thoughts are certainly with the civilians in Gaza today. As for the situation in Yemen, there have been recent reports of attacks on Israeli-linked ships as well as ballistic missiles and rockets fired at Israel. Yemen's Iran-backed group, the Houthis, say they will continue to launch attacks on Israel until, quote, the Israeli aggression stops. In a statement on Saturday, December 9th, the group's spokesperson said, Quote, if Gaza does not receive the food and medicines it needs, all ships in the Red Sea bound for Israeli ports, regardless of their nationality, 
will become a target for our armed forces. While Houthi officials say that such actions are a demonstration of support for Palestinians, Israel refers to the actions as Iranian acts of terrorism. Such indignation by Israel is ironic, given its own campaign of terrorizing and committing war crimes against the Palestinian civilian population in Gaza. These events spark fears of potential regional escalation in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. We will be sure to keep you updated on any regional escalation that may occur in future episodes. For now, we will turn to Sudan. Teresa, what is the latest news regarding the violence being carried out there? As recently as Thursday, November 30th, independent UN Human Rights Council experts expressed concern over the escalation in gender-based violence in the region. Some fighting began between the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, and the National Militia in April of this year. More than 6 million people have been either internally displaced or displaced outside of the country, according to UN sources. This past Sunday, December 10th, saw an attack on an international committee for the Red Cross humanitarian aid convoy in Sudan's capital, killing two and injuring seven. It is unclear at this time who carried out this attack. However, it speaks to the mounting chaos and insecurity of the region that even a humanitarian envoy is not safe. Particularly disturbing in this conflict are the widespread reports of the RSF using sexual violence as a weapon of war against the women and girls of the region. The International Fact-Finding Mission for Sudan has been called upon to investigate the many accounts of, quote, sexual exploitation, slavery, trafficking, rape, and acts tantamount to enforced disappearances, end quote, that have surfaced. This mission was established by the Human Rights Council last month. Our hope is that it will bring some much-needed accountability for the atrocities being committed against civilians. The Lemkin Institute would also urge the mission to look into the massacres of the Masalit population that have occurred, which very clearly possess genocidal intent. We will continue providing updates on the situation as it occurs. Switching gears now to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Sarah, would you mind sharing the latest news about what's happening there? Sure, so it's important to understand that in the DRC, the conflict has been ongoing for three decades, with over 120 armed groups currently operating in the country. A record 6.9 million Congolese are internally displaced in eastern Congo, many of whom are in the North Kivu and Ituri provinces. One of these armed groups, the M23, resurfaced in North Kivu late in 2021. It quickly seized large territories and Rwanda has been accused of supporting and backing them. The East African Community, EAC, regional force has been deployed to the region, along with a UN MONUSCO force that has been present as well. Unfortunately, both have been accused of being ineffective. As of December 2023, the Democratic Republic of Congo has decided not to renew its mandate for the EAC force. The first Kenyan troops left on December 3rd. Kinshasa has declared its wish for the UN forces to depart as well, asking them to be in their departure next month. The BBC reports that the M23 militia in eastern Congo is vowing to recapture territories left vacant by the exiting troops. As fighting has renewed, women and girls in eastern Congo are being exposed to increasing rates of gender-based violence. A recent report from Doctors Without Borders states that 90,000 women and girls have sought medical assistance after being raped this year. Likely that is only a fraction of the total number of victims. Many opt to not seek help due to fear of stigmatization and retaliation. There will be an election this month, with the top five priorities of those voting being 1. An end to persistent insecurity. 2. The creation of jobs and boosting of the economy. 
three, fighting corruption, four, cleaning up the extravi sector, and five, a free and fair vote. Such concerns underscore what civilians in the DRC are most invested in and reflect the citizens' genuine desire for peace in the region. We at the Lemkin Institute will continue monitoring this escalating situation closely and want to emphasize that civilians should never be a target. Whether it is a child in Gaza or a young woman in eastern Congo, they are human beings, not targets, and must be treated accordingly. This means ensuring they are protected against harm during ongoing conflicts. Directly attacking civilian populations who have no part in fighting constitutes a war crime and must be condemned in the strongest possible terms. That was really well said, Sarah. And with that, thank you all for joining us this week. That is all we have for this episode of Genocide News Now. But be sure to tune in to future episodes and stay up to date on global news. Be sure to visit our website at www.lemkinstitute.com for more on our work in the field of genocide prevention. And if you would like to take action and make an individual difference, feel free to take a look at our list of resources on our Take Action page on our website. Thank you for listening and have a great day.